This is Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke, sponsored by the Stutzman Group. Now, Luke, this is already episode eight. Ocho. Ocho. Uh, we started this mid-November. We're now, this is the eighth episode. And as we just previously discussed, what I'm really enjoying and loving about this experience is our, you know, the topics that we talk about before we record really aren't set in stone. We let the conversation drive what we're talking about. And it's, yep. you know, we're getting a, a ton of positive feedback uh, from our listeners. You know, it's not scripted uh, beforehand. You know, Luke and I really just email each other or text each other. Hey, what topics do we want to discuss? We haven't kind of in the, you know, a, a flowing or a live outline and we jump around and uh, that's yeah. what's been really positive about uh, this experience thus far. Yeah. And also everybody keep in mind, you know, we've mentioned this on previous uh, podcasts. So this is not edited. Like what you're hearing is what you would be hearing you know, if you were live here with us, you know, this is just, this is a conversation between the two of us, a uh, conversation with, with guests, and we can't wait to get more guests on and re-record it. And then, you know, Bobby puts it up and you, that what you, what we've said is what you get. There is no going back and taking that out in post. So. Correct. No <laughs> editing. <laughs> Yeah. So when we say unfiltered, we really, really mean that. Absolutely. Now, some of the topics we will be discussing on this episode is uh, fundraising for local nurses. Uh, we'll dive into that. And uh, Luke and I are very privileged to have uh, partaked and, and uh, sponsored uh, some nurses there. We're going to discuss the change in legislation when it comes to cannabis, uh, obviously a hot topic. Uh, we'll dive into that and, you know, starting with the house and what they've done and, and where we see that industry going. Uh, facial recognition ban is a hot topic for myself being in the tech industry, but, but we've got our own platform. So I've got my own uh, peace of mind to discuss there, and we look forward to having an in-depth conversation on facial recognition, the pros and cons. Uh, we got uh, Article 230. We're going to bring that back up because that's, that's, that's not going away, and there's a lot of discussion on not just social media, but media companies in general being protected with Article 230. And then, uh, you know, increased LGBTQ and non-binary non -binary, rather representation and leadership. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what other topics we're going to discuss, Luke? Oh, you know, we're going to get into a little bit of this and a little bit of that, as we always do, which I, you know, greatly enjoy. You know, we, we um, you know, are going to briefly touch on COVID uh, because, you know, it, it's, it's tough to, it, it's tough to have a conversation without talking about COVID. But we have some interesting uh, topics that have come up around COVID in the past, uh, uh, you know, few days since we've talked. Uh, and so we're going to share that in information. Um, and I, I, you know, we've been doing, man, I think every single podcast we've done to this point, we have uh, 
we have uh, dedicated a certain amount of time to the outgoing president of the United States. And I think, uh, you know, we are all, you know, we, all, we know we all have tr uh, COVID fatigue. I think we, we all at this point have uh, Trump fatigue. And if absolutely you want to look at the, <laughs> if you want to uh, look at the ongoing shenanigans and just straight up friggin' bullshit that they're they're still they're still doing, you know, go ahead, Google it. Uh, they just had a really interesting hearing in the uh, Michigan House of Representatives. If if you'd like to check into that, uh, uh, Mr. Giuliani is uh, quite flatulent. But, you know, we've got other things to talk about. But I do want to take a brief moment later to talk about something that's coming up. Uh, it's uh, Pardons Palooza, as I'd like to call it. And then, of course, <laughs> and then of course, we have more happy things to talk about. We'll be ending on a high note. More celebrities doing good. Absolutely. You ready, Bobby? Let's go. Now, Luke, now that we're exclusively being hosted on Anchor, we now have the opportunity of accessing Spotify's 65 million songs. So every episode right. from here on out, it's not going to be a licensed song that nobody's ever heard. We're going to be able to pick and choose the artist, the song, the length. Uh, which is really exciting from from a music standpoint. Absolutely, absolutely. Both of us being music lovers, and you know, there's just certain songs that you know capture certain moments, and so that's a very exciting, uh, a very exciting, uh, I guess, you know, move forward, you know, in the music industry and and how uh, uh, is Anchor, uh, you know, Anchor and, and Spotify working together there. That's very very cool. Very cool. Absolutely. Now this morning. Right. So we're in a time of dire of dire need of action, Absolutely. action from, you know, fellow citizens, constituents, action of businesses, action of local government, city leaders, state governments. And we actually participated in a fundraising opportunity this morning uh, a fellow classmate of ours uh, local to Seward Nebraska I believe she now lives in Lincoln but she is actually uh, spearheading an adopt a nurse program there in Nebraska and what's what's beautiful about the position that we're in is you know being able to take action immediately and yep. So as of this morning, uh, they're looking at uh, it was twenty dollars to adopt a a nurse, and so far unfiltered. Luke and I we've sponsored twenty nurses. Uh, do you want to talk more about what what Elizabeth is doing? Uh, I think it's up to thirty nurses now. We um, oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did. 
um, we had an opportunity to, you know, you, you donate, uh, you know, a certain amount uh, per nurse that you want to, um, that you, you know, you want to contribute, you know, and basically these nurses, you know, they're, they're the front lines of this thing. Yes, yes, yes. The doctors are important. The doctors, let me salute to our doctors, but the nurses, you know, my mom was, I guess is, I mean, she is, a, she's retired now, but my mom is a nurse. My mom worked at Seward Memorial Hospital. I spent a lot of time, you know, in that facility. Uh, before we moved to Seward, she worked for one of the larger hospital systems down in Kansas City. So I got to see what that looked like. Uh, later in her career, my mom worked in um, the senior uh, assisted living side of Seward Memorial Hospital. And, um, you know, the amount, you know, the, and I also have a niece who is a in nursing school, excuse me, she just graduated, she was just got her pen and is now certified RN and she also works in a uh, assisted care uh, living facility. And the amount of love and compassion that these men, mostly women, but there are many men in the nursing profession as well. Uh, side note, check out Nurse Blake on Instagram if you haven't ever haven't, it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> these are just some of the just most dedicated, caring, selfless people that you would ever want to meet in your entire life. They, they just care for everyone else around them. They are, you know, any of you that are out there that it's a mom or a dad, you know, they be basically, they look at every patient that they see as their child, their father, their brother, their son, um, or, the, uh, you know, sister. Uh, and the amount of care and dedication that goes into that sometimes leaves them without without a whole lot of opportunity to take care of themselves. Right. And so uh, that's what this is all about is giving them an opportunity to, you know, give them or giving them, excuse me, rather a little present, you know, some some really great, you know, if you wash your, you think you wash your hands a lot, hopefully you do because of COVID, but nurses wash their hands just I mean, I, I remember seeing my mom's just dry, cracked hands just from the number of times she washes, washed her hands during the day. And that's not during a pandemic. That was back during relatively non, you know, <laughs> relatively okay times health-wise. Right. You know, and so giving, giving them just a simple little gift basket that's got some really great lotions in it and maybe some fuzzy socks for their tired feet and whatnot. You know, these little things, just these little items, these little care items are things they may not take a minute to get for themselves. Because remember, a lot of these men and women also then leave the hospital and go home to families as well. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen the stories on the news and whatnot of, you know, and it breaks my heart, these, you know, these, these women and men who say, my kids know, you know, they can't, they, they don't even try anymore. They know they can't hug me when I get home from work. I've got to go straight to the, you know, the, the bathroom and shower before they can even touch me. You know, right. so right. they're just going, they're going through an exceptional, exceptional time right now. And they're doing it in such a selfless way. They absolutely positively deserve to be in that vaccine one a group, meaning that they will be the first ones to be vaccinated against this once the temporary approvals go through. Yep. And it's just a great, 
and you know, just a just a few dollars to 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 contribute to to be a part of this. You know, it's 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 these tiny acts of kindness, you know, all added up that really truly make a difference. Cause I know a lot of people think, oh, what, what, what will my five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever, what 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 difference will that really make? Well, when enough people pool that together, it makes a hell of a lot of difference. And so to all of the nurses that'll be receiving these items, and now um, Bobby's gonna play you a clip, I believe, uh, to let you know that uh, this is going so well, you know, we'll, we'll be able to start rolling this out to other hospitals as well. Yeah, so the uh, individual, her name is Elizabeth Poole or Elizabeth Dixon Poole on Facebook. Uh, here is the recorded audio she sent uh, Luke and I after making our contributions this morning, which gives uh, just some you know additional detail where the funds are going and who it's helping. Hi guys, thank you so much for supporting the adopt a nurse program. Um, so my neighbor is the charge nurse at the COVID unit at um, one of the big hospitals in Kansas City. So we are treating her um, nursing staff with those. Um, I do want to let you know that any extra nurses that get adopted, um, thanks to you guys posting it on your page, or we're really close to hitting our 59. And so um, if I go over that, um, I want you to know, and I'll share it um, on your Facebook page as well, that um, any extra will go to Stacy Meinberg, who is older than us. Um, her brother, Jesse, was in my class in high school, and she works at the Seward Hospital and she is going to make kits for um, hospital employees at the Seward Hospital. So again, I love listening to your podcast. Um, you guys impressed me. So there we go. Some more additional details yeah. of this program, where the funds are going, who it's going to benefit, and the additional yeah. funds, uh, not just in Kansas City, but local there in Seward, Nebraska at the Seward Memorial Hospital. We will have this information. We do have this information posted on our Facebook page. There is two payment options. If you feel you would love to participate and adopt uh, via Venmo and PayPal. Yeah, absolutely. And hey guys, if you know, it, it's $20 for an entire package, but if you've only, you know, if you, you only feel comfortable donating $5, $10, that's fine too. Every, every little bit helps, and it's an additional nurse that we can give just a little sign of gratitude of, of how much we appreciate them and everything that they're going through during this really, really, really difficult time. Absolutely. Now, next topic, cannabis. As a member of this industry, you have your hands in this industry, and I would love to get yes. your thoughts on the legislation. Yeah, so as, as I've mentioned, I am now, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I work in the cannabis industry here in California. Uh, it is, you know, thanks to the size of our state, it is the largest cannabis industry by far in the United States. Um, and our firm represents everyone from uh, we from basically we say seed to sale so from cultivation to manufacturing to distribution uh, to the frontline uh, dispensaries and um, and delivery services uh, very early 
in the COVID pandemic, those that work in the cannabis industry were immediately deemed essential workers because of the medicinal value uh, found in the active ingredient in cannabis, which is THC, and also in its uh, cousin, the derivative of the cannabis plant, CBD. CBD it does not have the, the hallucinogenic properties and, or whatnot. It doesn't, quote unquote, get you high. Um, and also most medical uh, marijuana patients use very low dose THC. So, you know, first things first has been about changing the attitudes about cannabis around the country. You know, and right. I don't know about you, but but growing up, I, it was Cheech and Chong and, you know, <laughs> getting blasted. And it was only just like the taking bong rips. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's like, you know, the bad kids <laughs> did that and whatever. And it just, you know, it, it, it and, and I'm sorry to say, kid, it is 21 and over. It is just like alcohol in terms of age limits. It is 21 and over. Um, unless you have a doctor's recommendation that has to come from a true medical doctor, uh, then you can get medicinal cannabis starting at the age of 18. So now currently in the United States, uh, we have 15 states that have full uh, recreational uh, cannabis, California, Colorado. Colorado was actually number one. So I got to tip my hat to. Yes, sir. My Coloradans, Bobby. Yeah. All right. We, we've got 19 states that allow for medicinal. Okay. Medicinal. So remember with medicinal marijuana, you have to have a, a real MD. You can't just go to, you know, your friend Larry to sign a note. It's got to be a real <laughs> medical doctor that describes the symptoms that they're using medicinal cannabis uh, to treat. Quick side note on that, cannabis for a very long time has been something that is used by cancer patients because it helps them uh, get through the chemo and get an appetite in order to be able to eat. Also back during the AIDS epidemic, the Angels of Mercy uh, illegally distributed cannabis to those that were basically in hospice in their final days, dying from complications from AIDS. So medicinal cannabis has been around in the United States for a very long time. Then 13 more states have um, legalized CBD, which is the non-hallucinogenic property of the cannabis plant, but has uh, many medicinal qualities to it. Uh, you might see CBD, different balms and different uh, lotions, know, used lotions yeah. in sports and whatnot. You've got, you know, a, a, a pain in your back. So you rub some CBD lotion on your back. That's very, very popular. And then we have three states who have nothing and we'll get to that one in a minute. The reason why I bring this up is because two really huge, amazing things happened this week. First of all, internationally, the United Nations um, Committee on uh, Drug Control has officially removed cannabis, completely removed cannabis from its list of dangerous drugs. Okay. Oh. So for a very long time, just like it is here in the United States currently, and we're going to talk about this bill momentarily, but cannabis was a, is known as a schedule one drug, making it as, as illegal as uh, heroin, uh, crack cocaine, uh, meth amphetamines, you know, it puts, it puts a uh, schedule one puts cannabis into that category. UN 
did not, they went a step further than scheduling it into a different category. They've removed it from the list of dangerous drugs, full stop. It's finally done. Okay. Yep. And this week in the democratic led house of representatives, we passed the Moore Act. And I'm going to read a quote here from the uh, CNN article on it. Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Inspungement Act of 2019, the Moore Act, which would effectively legalize cannabis by removing marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. So basically we would be doing the same thing the UN just did, not rescheduling it, but removing it completely from the Controlled Substances Act which by the way, alcohol is not in the Controlled Substances Act and creating a shared federal state control of cannabis program. It does not force states to legalize full recreational marijuana. States would still get the chance to make their own rules, make their own decisions, regulate it the way they want. But most importantly, two things, the bill would remove any barriers to additional cannabis research, because currently the CDC, the centers, uh, so the CDC, National Health Institute, they can't even do research into the medicinal properties of cannabis. It's, it's right. federally, it's federally illegal. And then, so third thing, it would remove the banking restrictions. Currently, cannabis businesses cannot bank at an FDIC insured bank because it is considered federally illegal. So it would be no different than, uh, you know, Al, uh, you know, your, uh, you know, your Al Pacino walking in in Scarface and, you know, unloading his cocaine money, you know, in <laughs> that, that, right. that, that cause and working in the cannabis industry that causes really dangerous practices to be, to be done because essentially it forces you into a mostly cash situation. Right. And whenever there's lots of cash on hand, there, it just, it's leading to trouble. And then finally, in this day and age of social justice, my God, is this one important? It would expunge most of the minor offenses um, that have to do with cannabis from, uh, from the, the laws, from, from, from federal laws anyway. Right. Again, states, states would still have to decriminalize it at the state level. But guys, if you do some more research into it, follow the facts, there are a ridiculously high number of mostly black and brown people that are sitting in prisons right now because of minor, minor offenses stemming from cannabis. Okay. Right. So, you know, the, the, the faster that we can, you know, reverse that and get these young men and women back out into society in my turn, in my, in my eyes better, because if I was just a, you know, a 19 year old African-American guy sitting on my, my door stoop in New York city, smoking a joint. And now I'm here, I am 10 years later, still sitting in prison. Explain to me how that's fair. Explain to me how that that makes any sense whatsoever. Right. And, you know, marijuana, honestly, has never really been my thing. You know, mm -hmm. I, I tried it and did some, you know, back in high school, mm -hmm. but, you know, just having this conversation. I can't remember ever doing it since high school. 
but mm-hmm. because it was always, you know, put Bobby to bed, it's nighttime mm-hmm. experience. You know, it, it really wasn't my thing. I'm, yeah. I'm a caffeine yeah. junkie, drink coffee yeah. all day, yeah. you know, espresso shots and, and, and you know, that's my thing. Yeah. But now we're looking at all these, all these low, you know, these people that are in prison for three, four, five years because mm-hmm. they had more than an ounce or yeah. uh, the prosecution was able to kind of say, well, it was meant for distribution. Although, Correct. you know, Correct. that yeah. brick of marijuana, that pound of marijuana was just for mm-hmm. personal use. Correct. Now Correct. thousands are, are going to, you know, hopefully the states do what's right. 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 No, federally, yeah. it's a first step. Um, yeah. But, you know, just like legalizing marriage, you mm-hmm. know, federally it was passed, but yet there was st- still to this day states yeah. that allow to, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Luke? Well, they restrict the they restricted certain rights yes. around yes. same sex couples. It's yes. not a free and clear marriage the same way as uh, what an opposite sex couple would, uh, right? You know, be privileged to ha- or would you know they well they call it a privilege. It's a it's a right, folks, to 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 be with and to uh, live your life uh, with the person that you love is a right, not a privilege. So, right. and then back um, to the marijuana. I mean living here in Colorado Springs, obviously there's dispensaries really yeah. everywhere, but yeah. I can go up to Manitou Springs. They've got a retail uh, license mm-hmm. and you can go in there and buy your nugs, buy mm-hmm. your candies, your cookies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything's obviously tracked. They know who's buying it when yeah. it was purchased. It's all yeah. logged and legal. So, yeah. So like I was saying, you know, I, I let me first off start with a number and then I'll get a little deeper into one of the specific things that I do. Okay. And so this is an 18, this is now an 18 billion, that's B as in billion dollar industry here in the United States. Like I said, all but three states, Nebraska, Kansas, and Idaho, do not currently have any legal uh, marijuana laws on the books, okay? It's an $18 billion industry. How do we know that it's an $18 billion industry? Because of people like me who do compliance, okay? This is highly regulated, just like Bobby was just saying. From the seed or from the clone, which is a baby uh, cannabis plant, all the way through its growth, its harvest, its manufacture. That's when the plant is broken down into nugs or are turned into uh, different distillates and concentrates to be infused into candies. That's where you get your edibles or your vape cartridges or then your lotions and your topicals to when it is sold to the customer and leaves the, the dispensary, the facility, that product is tracked. So if I, as a customer, go into, um, you know, Luke's, you know, Luke's, Luke's Emporium and say, (laughs) I want an eighth of Alien OG, I, there's a tag right there on that jar, okay, that has a number on it 
that I could then use that number to track it all the way back and, it's, and, and know every step of the supply chain, know every single step, where it's been, where it was grown, was it grown indoors, was it grown outdoors, you know, what size of farm did it come from, uh, you know, the manufacturing plant that, you know, if, if it was, if say I buy a, a box of, you know, gummy uh, edibles, gummies, you know, where is the plant, where it was manufactured, what are the ingredients that were used in it, what was the process that was used in creating that, all the way, through, you know, I can, I can know as a consumer every single thing that has happened to this product until the moment it hits my lips. And there's not a whole lot of other things out there that you can say that about. Now, before everybody starts, but what about last year when there was all that problem with all the kids getting sick from vaping and whatnot? 90 plus percent of the vape cartridges that were causing problems came from the black market. And we know that because they traced it all the way down to this very specific vitamin E distillate type of, I'm, excuse me, I'm not a chemist, that was causing uh, these kids and adults also to get sick. Guess what? That is a banned, that is a banned additive in legal, in legal cannabis, meaning that, oh, I forgot a very, oh my God, a very crucial point in the step. Whenever that product reaches its final step, okay, in production, so meaning it's ready to go out to the public, it goes to a lab, okay, there are very, very few labs that are authorized by the state of California to do this. It is a highly, highly regulated situation. You would think that you were walking into, uh, you know, a lab researching viruses and whatnot at uh, at the National Institutes of Health or what and whatnot. You know, and they they test the product and they test the product for dozens upon dozens upon dozens of things that could potentially harm a patient if or a, a consumer uh, if it was in the product. So everything from, you know, everything's from the, the, the obvious stuff like pesticides. Pesticides are not used in the, in the cultivation, like chemical pesticides, the crap that they spray on the food that you eat, right. not, uh, not used in cannabis cultivation. It's not allowed. They use wholly organic ways of, of controlling, uh, you know, the crops. It's really, really interesting stuff. Uh, the, uh, the good bugs, as we call them, that go in and eat the bad bugs. And again, I'm sorry, for not using the technical terms, but you know, anyway, they have to pet pass this test and you only get one chance to pass this test. And if you get a fail on that compliance test, that means that entire batch. So say you've got 50 pounds of nugs ready to go to market and the test passes, guess what? You have to destroy those nugs and send video evidence of the destruction of those nugs to the state. So it, it is, it is highly regulated, it, you know, it, it just, it is so safe. There's been so many studies that have been done now about, let's just say alcohol for one. It right. is, you know, there is no such thing as physical, physical dependence to cannabis. Your, your body cannot create a physical dependency to it. Could there be a psychological dependency? Yes, and that you know, there that that is you know, 
that 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 goes more into psychology. You can become psychologically uh, dependent on chewing erasers off of pencils, you know, or eating you your psych- hair. Or eating your hair or pulling out your eyelashes. There's a, you can become psychologically addicted to anything. But unlike alcohol, where you can produce a, a physical dependency, meaning that if you don't have that drink in the morning, you get the shakes and the sweats and your body needs that drink. That doesn't happen with cannabis. Right. It doesn't happen with cannabis. It's a much, much much safer way of handling uh, many, many of even, and, and I guess I'm mentioning alcohol on the recreational side, but let's for a moment talk about the medicinal side. And what we know to be true in the United States is that we are still at the freaking just in the, in, the, in the eye of the storm on this whole opioid crisis, right. okay? Opioids that are legally prescribed millions upon millions of Americans that left them addicted. And we now know, we talked about it on the last uh, pod. We now know that the, the opioid producers know their product, product is addictive and gave incentives to pharmacies and doctors to get their patients addicted. Right. Well, you know, yeah. to that point, I mean, the, we've, we've got to, there's got to be, you know, an opportunity where, you know, Purdue Pharma is, you know, isn't allowed just to file bankruptcy, but there's going to be legal consequences to the individuals that were spearheading this effort. Yeah, it's it's criminal. And if there are not criminal charges that come out, uh, especially these most recent findings that the the top of the top, the leadership at Purdue Pharma knew, um, you know, not only knew what they were doing, but were incentivizing, paying millions upon millions of dollars in some cases to pay out to major pharmacies like CVS we mentioned in the last one, to for every opioid death or addiction stemming from products purchased at their pharmacy. That's, I mean, that's at least manslaughter, if not full on premeditated murder, if you ask me. Absolutely. They they knew beforehand what they were doing. Yeah, they knew before. I mean, that that is the definition of premeditated murder, right? You knew right. beforehand what you were doing, and then you went ahead, you knew that it could kill the person, and you went ahead and you did it anyway, right? Like, I, 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 you don't need, you know, we, ha- we have many friends that do have their JDs, so feel free, text us, we'd love to have you on. But I don't think you need a JD <laughs> to say, um, <laughs> I think we even have a judge in our class now, am I right? I believe um, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think I need a JD to tell you what Purdue Pharma did was criminal and somebody needs to go to prison for a very, very long time uh, because of it. Right. So really quickly before we move on, uh, to our next topic, and we have lots to get to today, but I've been dying to kind of stick my toe in the cannabis uh, waters for, for such a long time now, because I am, like Bobby, I was not, uh, and really still am not a, believe it or not, you know, a, a consumer of cannabis. It is not my my thing of choice, much like Bobby just said, I, that just turns me into sleepy time. (laughs) And then that, and that, and that's that, you know, back in the day, I was known to have maybe a bourbon or something before I go to bed. I don't add anymore either, but you know, it just has never been my thing. Right. 
again, as I've mentioned on many occasions on the pod, my partner has epilepsy. And the amount of, you know, if he's having a really hard day, I would much rather see him smoke a bowl or hit a vape pen or take an edible than pop a couple of Xanax. Because again, here we are with a pharmaceutical that has only one way out and that's addiction and getting over that addiction. So it's been a sense moving from uh, New York where now New York is finally medicinal marijuana is legal. New Jersey, right across the river, just full on legalized recreational. So, um, you know, that's fantastic. Um, But when we first left New York, it was not legal in in new york city yet and i'll be completely completely honest once we realized how much it helped josh we spent a long time uh getting marijuana you know the way we had to get it in new york city because it helped josh so much then we moved here to california when we first got here to california it was recreational only josh's josh josh's neurologist mind you immediately signed his his recommendation for him to be able to start getting it legally and then now he can get it recreational no problem and the difference i see in him like i said bobby the difference between him either smoking a bowl or popping a, a couple of xanax is night and day right because he can smoke a little bit, you know, a low dose, you know, and still be completely normal, go on about your day. You know, people have such a stigma about, oh, I'll blaze up and then you lay around and eat Doritos all day. Right. Not with these small, small doses that most people use. Uh, that's more prominent now, you know, versus Xanax, which makes him looped out of his mind for the rest of the day and he's gone. Right. So, the, I've seen it firsthand, you know, and so I could not be a bigger advocate. And so when the opportunity came to me to come into the industry and use my, you know, use my various, uh, you know, things I've done in my background to help the industry, I was all about it. So um, just quickly to close, unfortunately, this bill is dead on arrival in the Senate because good old Mitch McConnell has said he will not even allow it to come up for a vote. So uh, let me take this moment to uh, uh, plug uh, the Georgia runoffs that are happening very soon. Raphael Absolutely. Warren, if you, have, if you have a couple of, of dollars to uh, throw into the fight, uh, there's lots of good organizations that you can donate to to help uh, turn Georgia fully blue and remove two of the most horrible members of the Senate. Uh, Purdue and Loeffler, who both, if you remember back around uh, when cannabis started, uh, got into a little hot water for unloading a bunch of uh, stock uh, because of a private uh, confidential briefing they got around COVID. Yeah, they're real all-stars. They need to go. We need to turn the Senate blue and we need to get uh, medicinal, at least medicinal, if not uh, full-on recreational uh, um, cannabis you know, re- removed from uh, this list of scheduled drugs. So, you know, and I, you know, I hope that this helps out with, with on the employment side, right? Yeah. So, you know, employer, you know, although here in Colorado say, you know, you're, you've got your, med- uh, your card, your medical card, or you've gone up to um, buy, you know, recreational marijuana, but still there's issues with, if you get hurt at work, you do a drug test, 
well, you're going to pop positive. They can terminate you. And so it's really been a double-edged sword here in the state of Colorado when it comes to individuals doing it on their own time. And, you know, although completely not related to whatever happened at work, Right. Blood test right. is issued and all of a sudden termination is to come from it. So, yeah, because that is one thing about cannabis, uh, especially THC, that it does stay in your does not. You don't stay high. And I don't want you guys to get the wrong impression here, but it does stay in your bloodstream for quite a bit longer than, uh, say, you know, alcohol or, or even some of the, the harder, uh, you know, drugs and whatnot. It does it does stick around, but it doesn't mean it's just trace trace them amounts it just means that maybe maybe five days ago you smoked a joint and now like bobby said here you are you know getting in trouble at work for something that like no i wasn't high at work and all of these all of these states just like you just like you you can't be drunk at work i mean never mind that you can pop opioids and take xanax at work i guess you know that's fine but you know you can't be drunk at work you can't be stoned at work um high we we have signs all over the place in california about impaired driving doesn't mean just alcohol it means uh drugs as well uh meaning cannabis and uh xanax and all of those other things impaired driving is impaired driving but um yeah it's just all the more reason why we need we need the the federal government to kind of step in here and lay down some ground rules so then the states can then take it from there because if you are legally prescribed a medication or you are taking a legally um you are enjoying a legal form of recreation you shouldn't be losing your job for it that that, that's that's well said bobby we've got to do thank you luke got to do that yeah hey just because i know we got a lot of our back home friends that listen to this pod i could not let this segment end with a little update on yeah you heard uh the three states that have no cannabis laws on the books yet there is no place like nebraska and a unfortunately currently in nebraska there is no place for cannabis um there was a movement. Actually, uh, I, I got uh, clarification on this from a very well, good, uh, very good source uh, right before we recording. And this person stated that what actually happened in Nebraska, uh, I had thought that it got held up in committee. It wasn't that. There was a group of people that gathered enough signatures to get a referendum on the ballot. So much like uh, four, five, six, yeah, six different states had referendums on their ballots this past November, all six passed, by the way. Um, in the state of Nebraska, there, there was a ballot referendum that um, would have decriminalized uh, marijuana and legalized uh, the possession of small amounts of cannabis. But the, I believe the sheriff's um, organization or something along those lines, um, hold on, sorry. Uh, It was the Lancaster County Sheriff, excuse me, the Lancaster County Sheriff's Department uh, sued and it did go all the way to the Nebraska Supreme Court who struck the uh, referendum down because it, Basically, it was a procedural issue. In the state of Nebraska, referendums can only cover one topic at a time. 
And they were saying the, the the legal argument was that if you're saying you're going to decriminalize it and allow for possession, that's more than one thing. This actually needs to be two different render referendums. So long story short, I am sure the organize the advocacy group that put this together is going to you know get their lawyers to redraft it. So it is however many different referendums need to be on the ballot. So the uh, so the Supreme Court can sign off on it. It's just one of those funny little procedural governmental things that it got booted basically because it wasn't written the right way right uh, baby last, steps, right yeah baby <laughs> steps La on last polling i don't have the exact numbers but it was greater than 50 percent of nebraskans now support the legalization of of marijuana in some way shape or form so hopefully maybe 2021 is our year well we'll we'll see huskers hang in there i mean Shit, well, with the football looked, team the being potential for income revenue. The state of Colorado made, I think they, you know, in 2019, it was about 400 million in tax revenue off yeah. of this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Same in California. I don't know the exact number, but the the revenues are immense and the revenues that go from everything to additional money for schools, additional money for policing, additional money for emergency services. God, in the middle of this pandemic, don't we need additional money for more PPE, more support to, uh, uh, you know, uh, rural hospitals and whatnot, right. all the things that we need. And also, it's a really great crop um, for those that say they've got soybeans or it's non-invasive. So if you've got soybeans or corn or whatever you're growing, you can grow marijuana right alongside of it and have no adverse effect on the other uh, product that you are growing. So it yes. would be a boon. It would be a huge boon for the farmers um, who God, we know need the help right now. And it would be a huge boon for the state as well. And on a, fu a future podcast, Luke, I want to discuss the implementation, the importance of, of the internet of things when it comes to farming, whether it's your corn, whether it's marijuana, mm -hmm. uh, we've rolled mm -hmm. out several pro uh, projects across the United mm -hmm. States where mm -hmm. we're, you know, we identify what areas need to be watered. I mean, right now there's a ton of farmers out there that are spending thousands, um, overwatering. Uh, there's areas of underwatering. Uh, we can, you know, with a, a very small investment, Technology. we can yield, you know, those farmers, you know, the highest results they've ever seen by simply yeah. Im implementing sensors, uh, various mm -hmm. types of sensors. And so I'm, I'm excited about getting into yeah. that arena as well and how yeah, we, we have implement not technology. Yeah, we have not even scratched the surface on climate change yet. And I believe in that episode, we would have to also talk about the devastating food shortages that we will be soon uh, to see uh, due to climate change. And so yes. any and every initiative that can be taken to increase the yields from all working farms is of utmost importance to, to us and to the world. So it's... Uh, Definitely a topic to be covered and we shall now that I am done with my thank you all for allowing me my my cannabis uh, rant. I'll hop off of my soapbox now to make room for it on, for Bobby, because I don't understand. Here goes Luke, non-tech guy, remember, I don't understand 
what the problem with facial recognition is and why the state of Massachusetts would actually vote to ban the use of facial recognition. Can you, can you shed some light on this for me? Cause I'm way, way in the trees on this one. Well, obviously it's, it's something that they don't understand. So if you look at our smartphones and whether you've got an Android or you've got an, an Apple facial recognition of unlocking your phone yep. has been implemented in the software for probably four, if not five years now. There's been different yeah. tests and now that it's actually baked in, um, you know, people are doing it already. Uh, yep. So when it comes to commercial use, right? So mm -hmm. currently a lot of states currently have commercial use laws when it comes to facial recognition, but there's no laws when it comes to personal use with facial recognition. So mm -hmm. what, do, you know, what do I mean by personal use? So say you, you know, you've got this 4,000 square foot house and you've got the security cameras. Um, you know, we've got the best platform on the planet. And so we worked with uh, various subdivisions and various cities across the country where, you know, with our platform, we, we simply implement, you know, the the AI and the technology that allows for facial recognition, you know, maybe you've got it set up where it, once it detects the homeowner, say it's, say it's Luke Mohat, and then he's got, he's got home automation. Well, he knows that six after 6 PM and it's recognized Luke, Luke wants the kitchen lights on. He wants, you know, the uh, pool turned on, you know, so there's all kinds of use cases in that arena. On the commercial side, because people don't know what to do with the data, right? There's mm -hmm. just big conspiracy that if, if a city, say the city of Chicago, uh, we were actually brought to the table last year uh, in different metro areas um, trying to help the traffic flow to and from various NFL stadiums. And it got held up with various city councils because every, they don't understand what data is collected, who's going to, you know, who owns it, where's it going to go. And, in, you know, so yet at the end of the day, when, you know, say you've got six cameras at a school, right? You know, so a big push for us for the last couple of years, you know, stateside, you know, is, is dealing with all the school shootings, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. I, I am part of various nonprofit organizations, you know, funding and educating, um, you know, in this arena. And, you know, the industry or the company that actually has this implemented, say a school district, they're the ones who actually keep the data. Now, what they do with that data, there's all kinds of stuff that you can parse from it. You know, you could actually track, uh, you know, high frequency areas in the school. Maybe you need to kind of steer uh, different students in different directions because they go into one area and to kind of ease up the traffic flow, we need to open up or have students go in a different area. There's so much stuff we can do, but when it comes mm -hmm. to school shooting specifically, our platform, once we identify, you know, a, a shooter with a gun, 
we've got, you know, on the back end, we can lock down the school automatically, the classrooms, you know, the entrance. So there's all kinds of once something's, you know, a person's identified or um, in Latin America, we were working with several governments that want to completely automate student attendance, right? Okay, cool. So yeah. we, we can completely automate student attendance. And, you know, but everybody's concern is about the data. Who owns it? What are you going to do with it? And at the end of the day, most, I would say most of the facial recognition platform companies they never see a packet of data that's collected from, you know, the business that's, you know, that's utilizing it. And what we've had a hard time doing is really getting the states to understand that, hey, just because we want to implement facial recognition at a fast food franchisee of ours that's got 400 locations, we can automate so many things for that franchisee. You know, I go to a subway, it's recognized me as the individual. It knows I've ordered these typical sandwiches or rewards programs. We can integrate with the rewards program where, hey, no more punch cards, no more phone scans of an app of any kind. It's, it's all automated and I've earned my 10th, you know, I'm purchasing, this is my 10th visit. I get a free sub. It knows what I want. Oh, cool. So there's all kinds of shit we can do with it, but people's fear. And I would yeah, say, so what's the, this, sounds, this is all sounding very cool to me. I just want to interject. Like, I don't know why, what, right. why, why not? <laughs> why not? Right. Well, you know, China, China has forced this onto their people, right? So, but right. it's helped, it's helped out engineering, traffic flow, uh, train, uh, train schedules to, you know, automobile distribution of, of, Hey, instead of going route a, I'm going to go route B because right now it's, it's too concentrated with, with people on the road. So there's so much we can do. There's so much positive from it, but because China basically has said, you know, we don't care what people say, what people think, we're going to collect right, all this right. data. Yeah, there's some, you know, there's bad you can do with it, right? There's always yeah. going to be bad when it comes to data collection. But it, you know, it's no different than, you know, activating a, a Google Android phone, activating facial recognition, instead of swiping up or putting in, you know, a, a, a pin to unlock your phone, it simply recognizes your face and away you go. And, yeah. you know, so if if these legislate, you know, these congresses, these these politicians would actually take time to understand how the data is collected, where the data is going, who owns the data, um, I think they would realize, you know, this is a huge overstep. And, you know, we've got clients down in Texas where, you know, we're, you know, our initial thing with most of our clients is we we solve the bandwidth first. So regardless what product or solution they want, we ensure that they've got enough bandwidth for what they currently want and for future expansion on additional solutions. And so we're actually working with um, a, a town down in Texas. We're putting in uh, fiber uh, for the city. We're putting in a 4G LTE tower 
uh, for its residents and its 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 business users. We're going to be getting um, 5G to the home in these areas, and you know, facial recognition is just an add-on. But um, you know, so on the residential side, we can easily do that because we don't need you know, there's really no regulation of preventing homeowners from implementing facial recognition. Sure. You, know, you know, yet again, whether we implement it on a, for a business or a, an individual homeowner, we, we're not keeping that data. That data is being collected and stored with the client. And what they do with it, you know, typically is on the commercial side is ways of, of, of monetizing that data. Right. So, you know, going a step further, we've got a solution where if we're working, say, with a McAllister's Deli franchisee that's opening a new location in Dallas and we know the competition obviously is is Subway, we can actually send push notifications to Luke when we know he's traveling to that Subway and say, hey, we just opened a, a McAllister's location here's a coupon for 50% off or a free sub or whatever. So, yeah. you know, the data collection is, is really where, you know, we are having the fall off with actual um, data collection versus, you know, perception, you know, the perception is they're going to collect all this data and just sell it. Right. We're not selling mm-hmm. any, we've never sold any of the data anyway. And I, I don't know of any uh, facial recognition platform that actually collects it internally and sells it to a third party. So, you know, there's just a lot of misunderstood, you know, misunderstood um, perceptions based on what other countries have done and how they have used it. Well, and I would have to imagine that that's what the 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 state of Massachusetts uh, legislature is thinking of the way the Chinese has used facial recognition in specifically banning the use of the technology by law enforcement. Right. So, you know, if you can give me a brief rundown, why would law enforcement use facial recognition and why is it, why is this a good, bad or indifferent thing for the regular person on the street? Well, when we talk city application or what we call smart city application, right? So we can mm-hmm. uh, say, you know, aside from facial recognition, when we, we've rolled out several smart city, Canada, domestically and in other countries, you know, like when it comes to say the, the garbage service, right? Mm-hmm. So the garbage service has these, has these schedules where, on Tuesdays, we're going to go check every single garbage can on this route, regardless if they need it or not. And what mm-hmm. we can simply do is with sensors, we can give them a printout ahead of time. You know, say you've got 50 stops where you got to, you know, empty the garbage, but yeah. 35% of them are only a third full right? Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. you can actually skip those for today and actually go after, you know, the, the garbage cans that are full and actually need the service. And we can do that very, very cost effectively. So when it comes to facial recognition, it, it can easily detect if integrated with, with law enforcement and, and, and other platforms, we can, enter, you know, say, say Seward, Nebraska, Right. Say mm-hmm, we're working mm-hmm. with the city on on smart city application. 
facial recognition is on the table. We're going to, you know, start off with 25 cameras. Well, we can integrate with the sheriff's department. We can integrate with Seward police Mm -hmm. and the people that are, you know, say they've got warrants, you know, that they're wanted on bench warrants for not appearing in court or whatever. Well, Mm -hmm. that person shows up, uh, drives by, you know, is driving downtown, is recognized, we can notify the police department and the sheriff department instantly where Bobby Stutzman is located mm. and they can you know, easily make that arrest. Or maybe they pop in at the movie theater or whatever the case. Yeah. And so in, instead of being scared of facial recognition, I challenge these cities and these city councils and these politicians to be involved in a test. Right. Mm-hmm. So if if you're in Georgia and you want to run a test, you know, you get all the the decision makers involved from from the start. You don't want to run the test with just one person or say the city mayor. So say we yeah. start, you know, we start talking with Josh, Josh Eichmeier yeah. in Seward, Nebraska. He's all for it. But we want to get the the buy in of the city council so they understand what we're doing, how we're going to do it and the benefits. And then from there, it's, they're going to come up with their own ideas, right? So once they understand the basics, they're going to come up and it always happens. They come up with their own ideas to add use cases on top of it. But Mm. really it's, it's, it's getting involved in a test is, is crucial because then they get a hands-on opportunity of understanding what exactly data sets are collected or maybe there's some city council members where they say, hey, we don't need to collect data on, on A, B, and C. Instead, you know, on the 4th of July, we want to help with traffic flow, parking, you know, all that stuff. You know, it, it, but without their buy-in, people will continue to think that facial recognition is, is somehow harmful. And it's just being, you know, people's... Um, data is is being unwillfully and unwanted collection mm-hmm. well here's you know let me throw on my um social, social justice warrior devil's advocate hat well well say that i'm luke but there's another guy out there in the world joe that looks an awful lot like me well i walk into the restaurant when you can do that again, uh, to have a nice dinner with my friends and whatnot. And all of a sudden here comes, uh, you know, the police in to arrest me, but I'm not their guy. The facial recognition has gotten it wrong. I just happen to kind of look like him or share some of the same facial features. Attributes. Is, right. Is right. That, yeah. Is that not a fear? Uh, a, now, a concern? Yeah, there's, so there's, there's different quality of platforms. So mm-hmm. our false positives is, is about one and 2.3 million images. Ah, got it. So, got it. and ours is so specific when it comes to the algorithms, uh, you know, uh, we can't actually, say Luke Mohat walks to school, you know, so, you know, school shootings, you know, going back to that topic, yeah. you know, we've got a profile of Luke Mohat on, on Monday, uh, December 15th. Yeah. And then he comes to school two days later and the profile has changed and we've added different sizes of, of guns to our algorithm. 
and mm. there's a hot, you know, and you've got an AR 15 packed under your coat. Yeah. We've got a 98% accuracy of detecting that gun under your coat with it being, you know, without it needing to be cocked and loaded and, and walking wow. into a school. So obviously, you know, there are going to be times where they're, they're going to be maybe a false positive, but being able to lock down the school for this example, automatically, mm -hmm. while mm -hmm. that student is, is being inspected is a much better process than Luke oh, yeah. walking in with an AR-15 because he is a student yeah. and having free mm -hmm. reign. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, man, I, I, we could go on on facial recognition forever, but there's another, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a number that has kept coming up. I think we might have mentioned it in every pod to this point. <laughs> so I, I want to ask, and I promised I wouldn't bring him up much. So I'm only going to bring him up here and maybe one more time. What in the hell is 230 and why would President Trump be saying that he's going to refuse to sign the newest defense spending bill? That's how our, our, our military gets paid, folks, unless the revocation of 230 is included in that uh, in that uh, in that bill. And just as a disclaimer, 230 has nothing to do with the military, as far as I can tell. Right, right. So currently 230 gives, you know, we will talk about the big three. We'll talk about Google. We talk about Facebook and Twitter. This would also include Instagram, but social media networks, basically an umbrella of safety when it comes to posting anything on, on these platforms. So whether it's hate, whether it's conspiracy theories and Trump you know, his post-presidency plans is he's going to be launching if if he's got the time. Right. So state of New York, there's a lot of criminal um, suits <laughs> yeah. coming his way and his family's way. But his post plans as we speak is he's going to be launching a media company, you know, right. understanding that um, all of his tirades and his rants on 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 uh, uh, Fox News you know, they are not fact-based. He says whatever he wants, you know, and currently can get away with that when, when they post on say Facebook, uh, because there's no, you know, they are protected. Now, mm -hmm. Jack Dorsey on Twitter has done a much better job of flagging uh, conspiracy theories or QAnon groups, um, you know, based on their posts. But, you know, clearly right now, these social media platforms don't have to do anything and they're not held accountable. So we could go on there today and, and make up all this shit, post it, we could boost it. And for a few bucks, it can go to 20, 30,000 people. And it's right. just total shit. And, yeah. you know, 230 gives them that protection. But, at the, but what 230 is going to do if, if it's flipped or changed is going to start. And that's what we want. And we need is that these social media platforms being treated as actual media companies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 98% of Facebook's revenue is, is advertising. They oh, are yeah. a full blown automated media company. Correct. And, you know, but these, you know, these QAnon groups, they were in the news again this morning, 
they can go on there and post just, you know, anti-mask bullshit or, you know, nothing that's factual, not even remotely close to being factual. And it gets spread. People read it. And I believe it now. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's gotta stop. And there's gotta be accountability on these businesses, but I also think there needs to be a digital, a digital ID of some sorts for the users themselves. So, you know, if I go on, uh, say the Seward community chat, like I read this morning and just start posting just mind numbingly stupid posts, uh, going after people saying hateful shit, there needs to be accountability Mm -hmm. with that as well. Yeah. So, you know, Facebook saying that it's going to remove any vaccine information that it feels is erroneous, um, you know, it, that and just, you know, that somewhat similar to what, you know, Jack Dorsey started doing on Twitter by flagging things that were, you know, inaccurate. This is an inaccurate statement or whatnot, which is, I think, what got Trump pissed off about the most. Um, 230 would take away their ability. I mean, removing 230 would take away their ability to do that or just say, yes, you can edit the content on your site, but that makes you a publisher. Right. So that would actually the, the, you know, you know, it's, it's been very hard. Like this week, Mark Zuckerberg has been having these interviews one-on-one with Dr. Fauci. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so while he's asking, you know, so from optics, it looks great, right? He's got Dr. Fauci, the leading doctor, of these pandemics on one-on-one Mark is asking, you know, the right questions, but yet yeah. at the same time as he's listening to Fauci answer about wearing masks, there are thousands and thousands of pages that are paying to advertise anti-mask yeah. messages. Got and it. it's, it's been very hard. So Got it. this will change with regards to being held accountable. So if I say some hateful shit and someone gets killed over it, well, guess what? Twitter's going to be held accountable. Facebook's going to be held accountable. And this is what scares the shit out of them is they, they not will only be accountable. They won't be able to make billions boosting false narratives, hate, uh, you know, just everything that goes on with these social platforms right now and, you know, they, they benefit from it, right? Making almost, yeah. you know, a hundred billion annually off advertising. And that's going to change. Hopefully that's going to change. Yeah. So while we're down the, the rabbit hole, let's, let's, let's get, you know, into COVID for just a minute. Um, it's looking like uh, there might be some bipartisan legislation coming up before the end of the year. Um, people might be asking, why is there all of this hustle all of a sudden? It's because the majority of the programs uh, that are not the majority, all of the programs that were passed back during the CARES Act um, have have expired. You know, we all know that the uh, additional unemployment uh, to individuals expired many months ago at this point. Uh, there was never a new round of direct taxpayer uh, payments like the $1,200 check you might have received. Uh, right. There was never another round of that. But now we have even larger programs 
that will be expiring uh, as of uh, December 31st. The largest of which is the program that has helped in some ways, hurt in others, but that's the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, sadly, uh, but not surprisingly, as so much has been during COVID, it came out this week that a great majority of that money went to uh, very, very large companies. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't find places like uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or TGI Fridays or P.F. Chang's to really be mom and pop restaurants. Right. Um, but the biggest issue with uh, PPP and the CARES Act in general is that there is a huge chunk of money that was never spent. Uh, I believe it's in to the tune of close to $500 billion mm -hmm. that that money was never spent. It was passed by Congress to be used and it just sat there. It just, it never, it never went anywhere. And so now <laughs> we have our, oh man, this guy can't get out of office one day too soon. Steve Mnuchin, our current treasury secretary saying that all of that money has to go back to the general fund uh, by the 31st. Why is that? A problem. Well, that's a problem because instead of coming into office with money still existing in the CARES Act that he and his team could essentially just reallocate to other relief packages, Biden will need another act of Congress to get that money back from the general fund and reallocated to uh the CARES Act part two or whatever the heck it is right. that they want to call it. And I don't know if you've heard of her yet, but if you haven't, you need to look into her and you're going to hear about her now because she is one of our representatives from the great state of California, Katie Porter. And she is just beyond, you know, well, I'm just going to go ahead and play the clip and then talk about it a little afterwards. So let me see here. Um, she's, you know, she's fantastic when it comes to interviewing, um, when it comes to interviewing uh, people, uh, testimony, uh, uh, witnesses at uh, hearings because she is just so damn smart and she always has just, the best questions and the best responses when, um, you know, when, when, when she is, when she is questioning. So let me go ahead and start this here and uh, hopefully you can hear it. Hopefully I've done this one the right way. This is the non-tech guy trying to roll a clip. <laughs> Y'all know how that went the last time. Let me turn on mute. Let's start that and go.
<laughs> so yes, Katie Porter. It, so yes, Katie Porter is a lawyer. She's a very skilled lawyer and you've got Steve Mnuchin doing his, you know, you've got Steve Mnuchin doing his best to try to pretend like he's a lawyer, trying to argue that even though the law says the money stays put until 2026, he wants to move that money back to the treasury now. Which, which is unbelievable, right? I mean, we don't have a national, we still don't have a national plan on COVID. We got benefits that have run out. They're going to continue to run out. And, yep. you know, yep. now we've got kind of the conversation going. It's a fraction of what we actually need. But I guess at this point, Luke, a fraction is better than nothing. I mean, you've got $500 billion, right? Five, let's just round it off at that. You know, you got $500 billion. Is that, you know, the one thing I got to need three more zeros on that to get to $500 billion. And I design, you know, go ahead and, do, do, you know, do, do, do the math. That, you know, even if they would split that up and say, here, each state takes some, imagine what that would do. Imagine the things that the states could do to help you know, the COVID relief situation that, by the way, again, we can't say it enough, Bobby. Guys, we're, yes, thank God, the vaccine is right around the corner, but we are going into what could be the three deadliest months yeah. in the, of right. this pandemic. Right, Full will stop. be, right? I mean, will be. They will be. I mean, we got it, the Thanksgiving surge, it's going to hit. We're going to have mm -hmm. the Christmas surge, it's going to hit. New Year's, it's just going to be a bloodbath. Uh, end of end of January, beginning of January, into yeah. February, the yeah. vast majority of the non frontline workers will not be getting the vaccine probably until April, May timeframe. And then we've got 40 percent that say they're not going to take it. And, you know, but the money that we're looking at now, you know, we've got states that are trying to do what they can do with the lack of funds they currently have. Right. Yeah. We've got states yeah. like here in, you know, like here in Colorado, they've added um, additional unemployment benefits, uh, mm -hmm. SNAP benefits, you know, on the food side and mm -hmm. uh, small business benefits. And, you know, so they're doing everything they can. But these funds are, are, are really coming six months too late. Yeah, they, they really are. You know, I it, it is it is, you know, there there are record record number of people. Uh, going to food banks, uh, going on, uh, you know, we, we have uh, a several here in Los Angeles County, several um, drive up locations where you basically just drive up and you say, you know, how many number of people are in your household and they load up your trunk or whatnot with food. Mm -hmm. uh, more people um, applying for unemployment, applying for SNAP, which is food stamps and whatnot, uh, then ever and for the first time you know doing that than than ever before in the history of the nation you know we've just got you know and and we still have you know kids and you know you know parents skipping parents skipping meals in order for you know their kids to be able to get something to eat at night there, there's so yeah. much so much hurt and so much suffering still going on out there in the country and for this man for Yearly political reasons to say, nope, 
you can't have this money. It, it is, it is an, a, it's not only an abdication of duty. I think he's been doing that since the jump. It is, it is uh, again, it, it is criminal in my, in my estimation that there's this money that could still be going out to people and it's just sitting there and not only has it sat there for all these months, now he wants to, you know, take it back. It's right. just, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. Ridiculous. We got hospitals that are running extremely low on PPE. Oh yeah. Yep. You know, hospitals that are really upside down, not just for the quarter, but for the year spending their own money on, on what Trump stated would be paid for by the government. Of course. The would decide, you know, how to divvy up the money, but the money has not been there for months. So we've got shortage, you know, we've got a shortage on PPE yet again. The Defense Production Act has not been implemented. So we're still sourcing all of our supplies from, from overseas, mostly from China. And there's been issues with um, exports and, and, and all that. So, you know, these funds are really going to help at the state level, but yet... They've been there. Five hundred billion has been sitting there for months, and not just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 I need to, I need to laugh about something. And I'm sorry. I know we're not going to spend too much time on it, but I just read a tweet that I'm just literally I've been choking back um, my laughter. Um, <laughs> Greg, Greg uh, Bluestein just tweeted: "Whoops! The latest legal filing from former Trump attorney Sidney Powell." In her Georgia lawsuit, accuses Dominion voting machines of flipping votes from Biden to Trump. <laughs> and then there's a a picture of the, the filed legal brief, and she is literally arguing that the the machines are deficient because they were actually giving her boss too many votes. I love it. I yeah, love it. Yeah. These votes have been certified. We need to move on. I mean, exactly. That's ludicrous. You know, and, and on another hilarious uh, note that, you know, anybody who actually committed a crime and gets pardoned just because they make a donation or whatever the case may be is criminal. But, you know, as Pardon Palooza kicks off here, I read a funny article uh, yesterday uh, on thehill.com. It's a great blog. Uh, even the Tiger King himself, Joe Exotic, is in the running. He might get his uh, uh, pardon. But let me just read a quick little tidbit here about what you are saying if you accept one of these presidential pardons. First of all, you are admitting guilt. You are saying, yes, I did the thing that I've been accused of, okay? And uh, I will accept this pardon, uh, you know, in exchange for having to spend X amount of time in prison or whatever the case. Additionally, it's important to remember that once someone has been pardoned for a crime, that person can no longer plead the fifth in relation to it. Lying yes. or refusing to testify about it could lead to separate criminal charges. So President Trump, if you're listening, <laughs> go ahead and pardon everybody. Because that means when the Hill, when Congress comes a call in next year and they get their asses pulled up in front of these House committees, they can't plead the fifth. And if they lie, they're committing a whole new set of crimes that you are no longer allowed to pardon them for. So bring on the pardon, Palooza. 
I'm all for it. Yeah, you know, so the big question this week is, is Trump going to pardon himself? Absolutely. Oh. Will, will the Supreme Court acknowledge it? We don't know yet. But will he pardon his kids? And I think absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, the whole bunch, maybe not Tiffany. God, poor Tiffany. But the whole bunch, Ivanka, Junior, Eric, uh, that freak of a man, Kushner, uh, little Kushner. Um, they're, they're all, they're all, no doubt. They're all getting blanket pardons for what, who knows, but fine, even better, leave it vague. All the more reason why, you know, Congress has, you know, I, I would love to see, you know, Adam Schiff get his hooks in the kids and, uh, you know, really, really go to town. Um, so since we took a minute on the dark side, uh, the outgoing assholes, let me take a brief minute to discuss the upside, our incoming uh, president, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, you know, I wanna, I wanna talk about, you know, and obviously I have, you know, some personal uh, connection to this, but uh, it's shaping up that it's looking like the Biden administration is gonna be on track to be the most LGBTQ inclusive uh, in US history. And uh, there's already been a number of uh, lower level uh, positions. Uh, a couple of the members of his communication teams are uh, lesbians. Um, but I would like to point out a couple of the upcoming, uh, the much predicted upcoming uh, appointments. Uh, of course, we all know uh, the most famous of them, Pete Buttigieg, who you know ran for uh, ran for president, and his victory of the Iowa caucuses, you know, was historic and sadly oversh overshadowed because of the shit show the Iowa caucuses were. But right. he's looking to be well positioned to be Veterans Affairs. Uh, that people are saying, well, good God, he's he's so young and inexperienced. That's a huge. You know, that's a that's the huge that's the largest, you know, one of the largest of the of the cabinet posts. He's an let's not forget that this is an incredibly smart man who had a wealth of experience prior to joining, um, you know, prior to joining the uh, uh, becoming mayor rather. Uh, and then also uh, served himself. So that would be fantastic. I'm sorry, my. <laughs> and Lil makes her second appearance in the. There you Lil go. Makes her second appearance in the podcast. Uh, we're we're also looking at the possibility of um, uh, Montana Superintendent of Public Instruction. Her name her her name is Denise uh, Juno, like the capital of. Alaska, Denise Juno. She herself is a lesbian, a lesbian and a Native American, and she's being looked at as a um, as the Secretary of Education. Oh my God, a f an actual former teacher as the Secretary of Education. Imagine that. that just makes that just makes my 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 heart happy. Uh, we also have Senator Tammy Baldwin, uh, possibly for Health and Human Services, uh, and then uh, Mark Takano who's a representative from California, possibly also in the running uh, for some higher level position at Veterans Affairs. So it's, it's looking to see that, it's looking that uh, we, we will get some great, uh, some great representation, but the one that I am, as much as I do love me some Pete, I'll admit, um, the one that I'm most excited about 
during this pandemic, uh, you if you've spent any time online and you've watched any uh, of the uh, public health briefings by officials outside of your home state, you might have seen the uh, Pennsylvania Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine, who herself is a transgender woman and who has uh, just received the most brutally disgusting uh, commentary on, on, on her while she is doing the Lord's work and giving just masterful briefings about the coronavirus. You know, people are commenting on the fact that she is a transgender and I would be, I, of all of the ones I just said, I really truly hope that this one happens. She is being looked at uh, to be nominated potentially uh, as Surgeon General. So I would be, I would be just if, of all of them. If that happens, I, I, I will have even more respect from Biden and his administration because she is incredibly talented. Uh, she has, you know, a unanimous support amongst her colleagues on both sides of the aisle. Uh, she's just incredibly respected in her field, and I think that that would be an amazing amazing step forward uh, in a country, especially coming off of uh, an administration that was just so incredulous towards the transgender community, so. Absolutely. And, you know, Biden's just getting started. There are so many picks that that he's going to be naming in, in you know, in the coming weeks that, you know, like he said from the beginning, his cabinet will look like America. Yeah. You know, I have a question for you, though, on that, Bobby, you know, we, you know, I, I just mentioned all the, you know, the LGBTQ ones, because that's, of, of course, of special interest to me. Um, but it's not like that's happening because the head of Lambda Legal or the head of the human rights campaign or anything are like, you know, sitting at the table making decisions with Joe Biden. What, what do you take of, you know, like the president of the NAACP coming out and saying, hey, why am I not being involved in this decision-making process? Where does that- I where Yeah, I think publicly it's a huge overstep. Uh, basically yeah. what he is stating that he should be at the table helping himself hand pick people. Yeah. And that's not, that's not his job. Yeah, that's not anybody's job, but uh, Joe Biden and Kamala yeah. Harris. Obviously, yeah. she will be there to support and help Joe decide. But any third party outside influence, whether it's on the right, whether it's the Senate, whether they're on the left, regardless of who it is, they are more than welcome to give their input. Right. It is yes, not exactly. their fucking job to think. And I have no idea why he feels that he should be at the table hand selecting mm -hmm. these picks, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but more than welcome to give him his input. And that's what yeah. his job is. Yeah. And I might get into, I, I, who, when have I ever been afraid to get into a little hot, hot, hot water? And I, you know, because of who I am, I'm, I, I, I sometimes piss off people on either side of the aisle and I am, um, you know, I love Kamala Harris, and I think she is incredibly, incredibly uh, talented and well-suited for the position, and I am thrilled to have her as our next vice president. That said, the way that the VP vetting process boiled down to basically saying it 
has to be a woman of color kind of disappointed me because I, you know, we just had uh, affirmative action voted on here in California again. Um, I've just always been a big believer in you take the two resumes, you put them next to each other and you look at the resumes and the person with the stronger resume gets the position regardless of, of, of this or that or the other. And I bring this one up because there's a particular, you know, my dad worked for the Department of Agriculture and state of Nebraska, obviously the Department of Agriculture is very important uh, there. Um, the Secretary of Agriculture is, has somehow become a hot button uh, uh, topic in this whole kerfuffle. Um, coming into uh, this process, uh, Heidi Heidenkamp, uh, the, the former uh, senator from North Dakota, South Dakota, one of the Dakotas, right? Yeah. Um, she is incredibly well experienced. She, she's, yes, she's a former senator, but she also is very experienced in agriculture. And so she seemed like the leading candidate to be the secretary of agriculture. And I'm like, that's cool. It's a woman and it's a woman that really knows her shit when it comes to agriculture. Also, awesome. Well, now the Congressional Black Caucus is putting forward Marsha Fudge, who is a representative from uh, Illinois. Uh, and that's fantastic. You know, she, she is also a very talented woman, uh, a former lawyer. Um, but prior to going to the House of Representatives, she held many different roles in, um, in, in, in elected, uh, you know, as an elected official. And really, other than sitting, currently sitting on the Agriculture Committee, you know, doesn't have nearly the body of work when it comes to agriculture that Heidi Heidenkamp has. And so, again, not to stir the pot, but if I would look at those two resumes side by side, you know, and leave the name off and just look at the experience, I'd probably end up taking the person that has more experience actually working in agriculture. Right. But now, you know, you've got, you know, certain members of the Congressional Black Caucus saying that, you know, if we don't get Marsha Fudge in there, we're going to be offended. It's like, you know, and we'll we'll be talking about, I think, <laughs> in the weeks to come, the infighting amongst Democrats is going to be, uh, you know, a major topic of, of conversation. Yeah, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I just hope that Joe just makes the decisions that are right for the country and are right for his team. And that, uh, yes, as he said, his cabinet will look like America. And I have no doubt that it will so bobby are you ready for a high note i am i am <laughs> let's hear it all right so for anyone who cares mariah carey has started her own line of cookies that's all i'm <laughs> going to say <laughs> but uh an actual high note now nah, yeah good for her she's getting out there all right um ah uh, you may have seen him on one of my dad's favorite shows diners, drive-ins, and, dive, and dives, the infamous platinum-headed food, uh, food expert Guy Fieri. Uh, he is now not just the mayor of Flavortown, 
He is the fundraiser of Flavortown. He and his nonprofit have now raised over 21.5 million dollars in less than seven weeks to assist unemployed restaurant workers, of which there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them uh, throughout the country. Thanks to him, over uh, 43,000 people across the United States will be receiving checks of $500 plus. So I just thought that that, that, that was you know fantastic to once again hear somebody using their platform to do good. And, you know, we're in the opportunity where getting involved is more crucial than ever. There is a basically an unlimited opportunity for those that want to get involved, can get involved, whether it's locally, whether it's state, whether it's uh, certain organizations that are uh, raising money uh, nationally for first responders or um, like we did for the holiday uh, for this holiday season, um, in addition to uh, sponsoring and adopting nurses, we've adopted mm-hmm. some families that are in need, mm-hmm. right? Directly. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of organizations you can get a hold of locally that will have opportunities to get involved if and when you can. Yeah. And you I can, personally please. want to thank Elizabeth Dickinson Poole. Once again, for her hard work, uh, the Adopt-A-Nurse program, the information will be posted on our Facebook and social pages. Uh, Again, go to bobbyandluke.com. This is episode eight. You'll be able to uh, stream one through eight later this afternoon. And I, you know, I challenge those that, that can get involved You've got people hurting in your local communities. You've got first responders that are just, you know, they're, they're burned out, you know, and, you know, to get, give them anything that you can um, will obviously not only make their day, but, you know, help them out financially. So I just want to, you know, my God, I, I, I cannot, I I cannot be more thankful to be in the position to be able to help and to, you know, give back because my God, the world has given so much to me and to my family and friends. Um, I just want to give you a little piece of encouragement from, I think you all know at this point that I love her, uh, the queen of country music, Dolly Parton. Um, Bobby, do you think that Dolly Parton is a billionaire with a B? Well, I think she, I think she uh, could be. Ah, yeah, you're you're on the right, you're on the right, you're on the right, you're on the train, my friend. Yeah. Yes, as a matter of fact, Dolly Parton could be a billionaire many times, many, many, many times over. But because she gives such a shockingly large amount of her money away, she's a millionaire. Yeah, she, she, she still, I'm sure, is worth well more than I'll ever be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because she gives away so much of her, uh, you know, all of her revenue streams, she's never hit the billionaire list. And she's actually gone on record as saying that she believes to become a billionaire is a moral failing because there are people that need your help 
And if you are so blessed to be given so much, it is your responsibility to humanity to give back. And I just think that's so fucking yeah. cool. I, I know depending to, on to how in her there. investment in the Moderna vaccine was structured, she very mm -hmm. well could become a billionaire in 2021, whether she well, wants yes. to or not. Well, she wants to, but she'll keep giving it away. I, right. I have no doubt in my mind that that she will keep finding good causes to keep giving the money away because it's just what it's how she was raised. And it's what she truly believes that people who have great privilege also have great responsibility. And that is to give back those in need. And my God, folks, there is, you know, so much need. And I am. Um, you know, New York City under uh, Rudy Giuliani, I shouted to think he used to be the mayor there, um, uh, Rudy Giuliani, and then Mike Bloomberg uh, really did a great job of keeping the city clean and you didn't really see a lot of homelessness and whatnot. And I believe that's changed a bit recently, but I, you know, I left New York City um, right at the end of Bloomberg's term and moved here to Los Angeles where... I cannot drive a city block without seeing the need in this city. It, it is, yes. it is everywhere. It is hyper present. Um, I do not like giving money directly to people. I donate as much as I can. Uh, when I, you know, back in the day when I was driving around more than I do now, I always used to keep little care packages in my car with like some snacks and some hand sanitizer and some socks and just, you know, some just little lift bags that, you know, if I saw somebody, you know, panhandling, basically, I would give them one of those instead. And they were always nice. very grateful. Um, it just, it, it, it is, um, you know, it, it's not just my, you know, my Christian upbringing. It is just my belief that, um, you know, it's our responsibility, you know, to give back and whether it's and it doesn't matter how much remember uh, uh, it, it just one small tiny act of kindness can really make or break, uh, the, you know, somebody's day. And if enough of those tiny acts of kindness get combined, we really make a major impact on the world. So let's do it, folks. Absolutely. We want to thank our global listeners. We want to thank our sponsor, the Stutzman Group. And Indeed. I personally want to thank Mr. Mohat uh, for getting involved with the Adopt-A-Nurse program. And we look forward to doing more uh, in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you, Bobby. And we'll uh, catch you all next week.